Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. We often think of the holidays as a time to gather with family, but the reality might look a little different for some people. It can be a challenging time if you have a strained relationship with your family or if you're estranged from them. Family estrangement can happen for many reasons, and there's a lot of stigma around cutting ties with family. But research says it's more common than we think. Today, we'll talk to two people who have experienced this firsthand. And just a note to our listeners that we will be discussing sexual assault and other sensitive topics. And joining us now is a leading expert in family estrangement. Dr. Lucy Blake is a senior lecturer in psychology at the University of the West of England. Welcome to our show today, Lucy. Hi, thank you for having me. And for our listeners, you can also join the conversation 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So Lucy, we'd love to start with the basics here. Can you tell us exactly what is estrangement? Sure. Well, it's actually a little bit harder than it seems because people use that word in different ways. But generally... When we say estrangement, we're, as researchers, talking about relationships that are negative in nature and distant. Um, Some researchers would argue that to be estranged from a family member, that has to be kind of voluntary or chosen. But others don't make that distinction because I think sometimes it can be quite difficult to distinguish kind of who cut contact with who or who kind of initiated the estrangement or not. So I think there's some appreciation there that there's there's a kind of messiness to these relationships and that the definition isn't always so simple. Well, and I think it's difficult to define anything when you have human beings involved in, in these relationships. And But I want to ask, you know, how how is estrangement different than, quote, quote, just being in a fight with a parent or a child? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think lots of researchers think about well, how long has there been this absence of contact for? And some researchers might say like a month is significant, but most will say when you get to 12 months, that feels like a significant cutoff or estrangement. And then also what makes it messy and hard to study is that people often cycle in and out of estrangement as well. Um, But there is something long lasting, I think, when we're talking about estrangement, something that isn't necessarily permanent, that does last for a significant amount of time. And family dynamics, as we know, can be very complicated and unique to each family unit. So we know that all of these situations are going to be different when, we, when we're having this conversation today. But how does estrangement typically happen? You know, what do these circumstances look like when people become estranged? Yes, so there's no kind of one story of family estrangement, but I do think we have some common threads that we're starting to hear more about. Um, So one of those is when relationships might break down because of abuse in the relationship 
or perhaps a family member has a mental health challenge that has a negative impact on that relationship. And sometimes adult children and sometimes parents report being rejected by their parent or child because of their gender identity or their sexual orientation. And that they're really common issues, I think, that can contribute to estrangement are things like marriage and divorce and illness and death. So it's not really the kind of extraordinary events people might assume, like something really catastrophic happening, but really the kind of things that contribute to estrangement are very everyday and very commonplace often. Well, and with what you just said, too, because this is a lot more common than we think, and we're not here to define something since it's not that black and white, but we also understand that disagreements and fights happen in every family. So what do you think is like the thing that actually makes a relationship break apart? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think there's something kind of long-standing and difficult and distant in the relationship that means that an argument isn't easy to come back from or broach. There's something more significant that needs to be addressed often. And some people might think of it like um, a, the straw that broke the camel's back um, is something that we think about often with estrangement. Like there might be many small arguments, but some event or something that happened just kind of pushed those people in the relationship over the edge and led to something more substantial and longstanding. And yeah, when when, it, when we're thinking about not just an argument, but something that's longer lasting and significant, we really do find that it is not a rare experience. So the latest research kind of indicates that around a third of adults are going to experience estrangement from a sibling. Around one in four will experience a period of estrangement from a father and around kind of six to 10% from a mother. So these are not small numbers. This is very everyday and common where these um, rifts and conflicts and argument or relationship issues are, are substantial. And curious to hear, you know, how does estrangement look for different people? Because, you know, we talked about there, you can't really put a timeline to it, but some are longstanding, some are not. And I want to talk about, is there a spectrum of estrangement where you might not be in contact with someone at all or have very limited contact that may lead to either more or, or no contact eventually? Yes, so there, there is a spectrum. So some researchers have talked about emotional estrangement. So this is where parents and children or siblings might have kind of limited contact with each other throughout the year, but they do feel that there's a significant gulf or distance between them. Whereas other people have a more, what's been called like a physical estrangement where there's absolutely no contact and that can last for very long periods of time. And then for some people, there might be kind of the involvement of legal professionals in their estrangement and restraining orders, for example. Um, so, that, yes, it's it's really varied as an experience, I think. Um, and there's, there's no one way that it looks in people's lives. We're talking about family estrangement today on Where We Live. You can join the conversation to share your experience if you like. Call us at 888-720-967. 
or 888-720-WNPR. Joining us now is someone who has experienced estrangement firsthand. Seth Forbes is the founder and executive director of Together Estranged that's based in Boston. Seth, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. And so, Seth, I want to start by asking if you wouldn't mind talking about your own experience with estrangement. Sure. Um, I would say it's pretty um, longstanding. It's very complicated. There are a lot of uh, twists and turns along the way. Um, I initially became estranged from my mom and her side of the family when I was 13 years old. Um, My parents got divorced when I was six, and my mom met this new guy, and we moved across the country with him. Um, By the time I started becoming a preteen, he was grooming me. And by the time I was 13, I was sexually assaulted by him. Um, This was a really uh, groundbreaking experience for me. I didn't know how to process the situation. I had four half-siblings as well who lived in the home with me. So I was really worried about their safety, and I also felt a sense of obligation to speak up about what happened just to make sure they were safe and protected. I at first struggled to acknowledge the truth of the situation. I grappled in my head about whether to say something or not, and eventually I broke down and told my mom what happened. Um, She believed me at first. And she was willing to help me figure this out. But the more she spoke with him, uh, the more, the less faith she had in me and what I had experienced. And that was really hard to go through at 13. You know, you don't get a life, a life book to tell you how to handle these types of situations. Um, I know she was in a really difficult position with having five kids with this man and being a stay at home mom. Um, But I think that was ultimately kind of what broke down between us because I ended up moving back home with my father because I didn't feel safe at home. She stayed with the guy that had done that to me. Um, She didn't believe me anymore. Uh, And then over the years, our relationship just really deteriorated. And I tried for, I would say, a decade to have conversations with her and I even tried forgiving her at one point and I realized actually I can't like I need her to acknowledge that it was a lot for a 13 year old to go through this it was a lot for me to not feel safe and protected Um, and so that's really where the first half of my estrangement took place but I later became estranged from my father and his side of the family after coming out as LGBT Um, when I grew up with my father, I could tell he was not very supportive of people who had different sexualities or different gender identities. Um, he struggled with racism and homophobia. And so I, I purposely kept to myself and didn't come out until I had my own apartment and my own car, uh, just to make sure that I was protected. And so once I came out, I believe I was 21 at that time. Um, Him and the rest of the family really, really struggled to accept that. And ultimately, they just they just couldn't get around to that. I mean, the fact that you had to sort of strategize your feelings and and also pay attention to 
or think about how other people would feel if you if you came out. I think that's a lot for anyone, let alone for someone so young. And it seems like there are several stages of processing and grief here, Seth. Uh, you know, what feelings did you navigate when when this all was happening? You know, like what did that look like for you? Yeah, it was a lot. Honestly, I struggle with my identity immensely because where I grew up with my mom and her husband, I grew up with them in Texas. And then my dad lived in Indiana. So I was in two completely different environments growing up as a kid. And it was even to the point when my mom moved me to Texas, she wanted to call me by my middle name, which is the name that she had named me. Um, and so it got to the point where I was being called two different names. Like I, I, was called Brianna in Texas, which is my middle name. And then I was called Seth in Indiana, which is my first name. And I just struggled so much to figure out who I was and how I was supposed to fit into the life around me. It was so hard. And I, I'm really, um, I try so hard to be loyal to my family. You know, I love them. I, I wanted to do whatever I could to protect them and especially to my half siblings, but it was just not possible being in such a tumultuous environment and not feeling heard by the adults around me. And eventually I got a restraining order on him. I mean, I guess it was my dad that did that because I was 13 and <laughs> what 13 year old knows how right. to create a restraining order. But, right. um, you know, I, that ultimately happened, but even then it was challenging because I would go to visit my mom during the holidays and her husband was supposed to be out of the house. And sometimes he would be in the house while I'm in the garage, in the car waiting. You know, it was just they really tipped the line with how close, um, how close he could be. And it, it really devastated me in so many areas. Like my half siblings, they would tell them that they can't trust me um, because they didn't want me ruining their relationship with him. And I never did that because I didn't want them to feel unsafe in their home. I didn't want them to feel like they couldn't have a relationship with him just because of what happened to me, because I was the only child that was not biological to him. Right. Um, so, you know, that devastated all of our relationships as well. They grew up from a very young age being told that they can't trust me, that I'm a liar, that I'm being dramatic. Um, and so that really, really hurt to lose not only all of the family, adult family members, because they just couldn't face the truth of the man that my mom married, but then also to lose all of those relationships with my younger siblings because they, they were just innocent and they were told these stories about me with me never being able to share my side. Well, we very much appreciate you taking the time and sharing your side of the story today. You've been listening to Seth Forbes, who's a founder and executive director of Together Strange, as well as Dr. Lucy Blake, who's a senior lecturer in psychology at the University of the West of England, and also a leading expert on family estrangement. They'll be staying with us as today we're talking about family estrangement. And coming up next, there's a lot of perspectives on family estrangement. We'll hear from a parent who's experienced this firsthand. 
And for our listeners, if you've been affected by sexual assault, know that you are not alone. The National Sexual Assault Hotline provides 24-7 support for survivors of sexual assault and their loved ones at 800-656-HOPE and online.rainrainn.org. That's online.rainn.org. If you have an experience of estrangement, join the conversation. Let us know how you're planning on navigating the holidays. 888-720-9677 or leave us a comment on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go Team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. Today, we're talking about family estrangement. We just heard from Seth Forbes. She's the founder and executive director of Together Estrange. Seth is estranged from both of her parents. And joining us now is someone experiencing the other side of estrangement. Amy Palmer is the founder of the organization Parents of Estranged Adult Children. Amy, thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. And still with us is Dr. Lucy Blake, who is a senior lecturer in psychology at the University of the West of England. And for our listeners, you can give us a call, 888-720-9677, or leave us a comment on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So, Amy, can you share your story about how you became an estranged parent? Absolutely. In 2017, My then 18-year-old daughter uh, sent me a text message and said that she was leaving our family. She had abandoned her phone and her car, and um, she didn't really give a reason. Uh, We were absolutely devastated. We had no um, inkling that this was even brewing. Um, There wasn't any disagreements. There wasn't arguments that we could, other than typical, um, you know, teenage, she was a senior in high school at that time, you know, just typical teenage stuff, nothing um, earth shattering anyway. And uh, we didn't know where she was then for about six months. Um, We did know that she had a relatively new boyfriend that we did not know well. And we figured he was a piece of the puzzle. 
And when we went to him and his family for help, and uh, they literally slammed the door in our face, um, it was absolutely shocking not the response that I had anticipated. Anyway, um, when she became estranged from us, I was devastated beyond belief. I'm not a, typically a depressed person, but I uh, struggled with getting out of bed. Um, I had difficulty focusing on you know, daily task of my life. It was probably the worst moment in my life. I can't imagine having to navigate that kind of trauma when when you did not get a clear answer. Were you able to get an answer or, or have you wondered, you know, what was happening between their relationship that led her to this decision? Well, um, my daughter was estranged from us initially for about two years, and she, we did end up finding where she was. And I did get somewhat of an answer, and it was the fact that the boyfriend did not want her to have contact with us. Um, and contact meant with everyone, not just my husband and I, who is her dad, her brother, her grandparents, who she was very close to. Um, friends, she could have a few, but only if she could um, only if he was present, um, during their interactions. And so he controlled a lot of her life. And that was the main reason it was not something that she desired. And what feelings did you navigate when this initially happened? And also when you've gotten more answers of, of why it was happening, you know, earlier, we heard Seth talk about the various stages of grief and processing that you go through during estrangement. You know, what was that like for you? Oh, absolutely. You go through stages of grief. There's denial. Like you can hardly believe this has happened. Um, I went through depression bouts of sorrow, great sorrow and sadness, um, went through anger. Uh, I think I've, you know, with the stages of grief, you go through all of them and kind of revisit them and then finally you get to a, a stage where your acceptance. And for me, it was finding that and living in the space between acceptance of the situation for what it was, but also never giving up hope that we would have be reunited with our daughter. Cause that was always our hope. Um, it was a challenge beyond belief um, just to even function in life and the, the feelings of shame, failure, um, guilt in that you wonder all the things that you did or didn't do um, that maybe led to this and you question everything really. And when you were asking yourself those questions, you know, you talk about feeling the despair, anger, sadness, and, and finally acceptance, but all of this are, are feelings that go beyond your belief. So when you were, when you were going through that process, were you able to get support um, to get some answers for yourself to help you with the process? You know, what was that like? Yeah, great question. Um, I was so devastated that I thought, I, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. And I have a son I need to um, raise up yet. She has a younger brother. I have a husband. I have parents who rely on me. I needed help. So I thought, well, I need a support group. So I started looking for support and I didn't find one. Um now, maybe there was one out there and I just didn't locate it. But um, so I thought I, I've got to do something because I can't be the only one. And so I started researching and just I started reading everything I could on estrangement. And I learned that 
I wasn't the only one that there are lots of people out there suffering through this. Um, and so I really felt led um, to start this ministry and um, peace was born. I really had no idea what I was doing other than just reading and researching. And um, it just exploded. And once I went, I'll say public with my story, um, I was shocked at people that were close to me, including a cousin who was estranged from her son for about three years and never told me. So um, it's just, I think that the more talk that we have, conversations that we have about estrangements, both from the children's perspective and the parents, that um, their people can get the support and information that can help them through, because it is very much trauma and painful for all people involved. Yeah, I can very much relate to what you're saying, Amy. I completely agree. I think, and I know we talked about this right before the show aired, but, you know, it's like there are these two sides to the story, but that's, I mean, that's not always the case. It it appears as though there are two sides to the story, but these stories can be so complex. And the reality is that everyone is hurt. Uh, this is a very disruptive human experience on all sides and it's so painful and i could agree more especially for the outliers in the family the grandparents the siblings you spoke about you know your younger siblings they're also suffering and it impacts them for their life absolutely absolutely and something that i'm happy to hear for you is it it sounds like you became connected with your daughter again, right? There was some some relationship building that, that came out of this? Yes. So what happened is my daughter was estranged from us for about two years, and then her boyfriend um, and his family kicked her out. So she immediately reached out to me. I had been implementing some strategies that I had learned from uh, Dr. Joshua Coleman, who is kind of an expert in um, estrangement. He was once an estranged dad himself. Um, some people love him and his his methods. Uh, some people don't. But um, I had been using some of those so that she knew um, that the door was open to her. So she did come back into our life um, and was with us again. And then unbeknownst to us, she got back together with her boyfriend and left again. We didn't really have any um, contact with her again for about three years. And then he uh, broke up with her again and um, she reached out. And so she is in contact with us and has been for a little bit over a year. Mm. That is so tough when external relationships can have such a strong effect and influence on the inner family dynamic. I think that's, that's got to be so difficult. And I know at one point my family members on my dad's side said that my current husband was controlling. And it was interesting. I think it's very much a different situation than what you have described from your experience, because with my family, I I believe that their story of him being controlling is what helped them to feel better about uh, distancing themselves from me because we were LGBT. And the reason why I say that is because I did have a conversation with my grandmother once. She said, um, you know, I don't understand. He's he's just so controlling. And I said, well, can you give me some examples? What is it? 
what is it that's so controlling about him? And she's like, well, I don't know. And she didn't have any, she didn't have any reasons for this. And we kind of got to the bottom of it. Eventually she did tell me that it's, she could, could and would never accept that we're LGBT. Um, that that's not something she felt she needed to, um, accept or, or work with in any way. Um, and so I do think it's so interesting, I guess, how these different experiences play out for my family. It was more of a, I think more of a way for them to feel like they were processing what, who I am. And I think they were having trouble coming to terms with that. And then in your situation, it sounds like this really was, you know, a very, um, a very dangerous person in your daughter's life. Well, well, Amy, with what you just mentioned, too, I want to pose this question to both of you. Um, or Seth, sorry, Seth, what you were just sharing, I want to pose this question to both of you with Amy first. Can you talk about the assumptions about estrangement that people make towards estranged parents? Well, I think they definitely make assumptions that it's what kind of parent were you that your own child doesn't want to have anything to do with you. So I think there's that um, accusation, whether spoken or not, that people people think it. And so I think that plays into the shame why so many parents don't um, talk about it, because there is that that shame value um, to it. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, it's that's a question that I think that I can't really answer. Right. And, and Seth, with the, with what you just shared about your grandmother, making assumptions, but realizing that there is actually a very solid reason why she made those assumptions. You know, can you talk about assumptions that that people make about estranged children? Yeah, you know, I think that estrangement on a on just a fundamental level is very hard for us to grasp as human beings. That's my opinion. I think that it's very hard to imagine that someone would become estranged from a family member because we used to really rely on those inner networks in order to survive. You know, I think it's, it really was a survival mechanism. And the idea that someone could break away from a family is, it's, it's just mind blowing, you know, it's hard to grasp that. And so I think sometimes people, they need a, they need to come up with a reason for themselves, especially if they're not in a place in their life where they have a lot of self-awareness. I know for my family members, they're way far out in the country, um, not a lot of education. They are very much rooted in uh, religion. And I think they struggled, honestly, to kind of see from a bird's eye view all of the different pieces that were happening. Whereas for me, I could, I could see these different things. Of course, I was still influenced by my own bias and perspective, but I felt like I could see how all these different things connected to one another. And I think that's where the assumptions come into play is we need a story for all of this to make sense. And if we don't have that, that self-awareness, um, or if there is perhaps information that is missing, then we have to fill those gaps in somehow. And that's where the storyline comes into play. And at least in my situation, if there's also not very much intimacy in family relationships and there's not a sense of respect and trust, 
then the communication really breaks down. And I, there's, I have another question here for both of you, and I want to start with Seth, especially you had just mentioned the internal network and, and having to process someone who's breaking away from family. But both of you have been able to define support. And speaking with Dr. Lucy Blake earlier, we talked about how this is a lot more common than, than we think. So can you talk about, you know, when you found out that you're not alone in this, you know, how did that make you feel and, and what happened afterwards? My story is very similar to Amy's in starting the organization because this was back in 2020. I had been working on my mental health for many years. I felt like I was finally in a place where I wanted to give back, but also find people I could connect with and relate to. And so I conducted my own community needs assessment. I sent out online surveys. I held focus groups. I have also a kind of a research background. And so it, it interested me to see if there was a need for this particular topic. And I got an overwhelming amount, amount of responses from people saying they've experienced something similar. And that's when Together Estranged was born. And since then, I have found a lot of community in this. Um, people have had very similar experiences and there really is nothing like connecting with someone else who has gone through it. You know, there's right. just another deep soul level of <laughs> connection for some reason that just brings you together. Well, I'm glad you were able to find that soul connection. I know, Amy, you mentioned a little bit earlier that you were also able to do that, too, by finding others who have had this experience, like your cousin you shared. Um, so what was going through your mind, too, you know, when, when you realized that, oh, I'm not alone in this, there's actually a community, and you're building that community as well? The first word that comes to my mind is relief, right? Because um, there's strength in numbers. And so to know that there were other people going through the same thing as I was just brought relief. And um, I think that um, when you find support in that, it's education, it's it's so many things, so many emotions are attached with that. I get emails literally every single day from people all across the world saying, I thought I was the only one. And when I receive those messages, it fuels my desire to bring to light this topic because I, for people to feel alone and to live in shame, and feel that suffer through the trauma and they think they're the only one that just breaks my heart. So I, it's what keeps me going. And in my first meeting that I held in person in 2018, um, I had 17 people attend the meeting and I had just prayed that there was maybe more than just me that would show up one other person. And I was just blown away. And right now my organization that um, I run, I have about 400 people who are actively participating. Wow, that's an amazing growth of numbers. I'm, I'm glad to hear. Well, I'm not glad to hear that yeah. that people, you know, <laughs> people are out there yeah. reading this, but I'm happy to hear that both of you and and others are able to find community from this. Um, you're hearing from Amy Palmer, who's the founder of the organization Parents of Estranged Adult Children. You're also hearing from Seth Forbes, 
founder and executive director of Together Strange, as well as Dr. Lucy Blake, who is a senior lecturer in psychology at the University of the West of England. And they will all be staying with us as we continue to navigate this conversation. And for our listeners, let us know if you'd like to share your story. You can join the conversation, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. Family estrangement is complicated. Today, we're hearing from a child and parent who have both experienced family estrangement. And still with us is a Dr. Lucy Blake, who's a senior lecturer in psychology at the University of the West of England, as well as Seth Forbes, who's a founder of Together Estranged, based in Boston, and Amy Palmer, who's a founder of the organization Parents of Estranged Adult Children. So, Lucy, I want to jump to you. you know, you've been listening to this conversation with with Seth and Amy. Can you respond to what we've heard from both of them? You know, anything that jumped out to you that you would like to talk about? I just really think it's so courageous and important and inspiring and very life saving um, for Seth and for Amy to share their experiences on platforms like this and to create their organizations. And um, I'm just really moved by the courage that that takes talking about something that is so heavily stigmatized and something about which we are often silent about. And I know that I've done some research with a charity here in the UK, Standalone, that supports people experiencing family estrangement. And I was looking at their support groups that they run in person and online and kind of are these helpful for people and, and why. And, and we did do an analysis where we found that these groups can really lower people's feelings of psychological distress. But the really important thing is exactly the theme that you've been talking about today is that when you're part of a community and you meet people with the same experience, people feel less alone. And I think estrangement can be such an isolating experience for people. So that togetherness, that community is just really vital. So I just really think that what Seth and Amy have done is really remarkable. And, and I think from from these conversations, we kind of pull the thread that like making these soul connections is so amazing. And but the reason for that isolation is because people are not comfortable talking about it. And it usually takes a person to bring it up for you to want to open to be open about it. And both Seth and Amy, I talked about the stigma that does come with estrangement. So so Lucy, from your from your research, are you seeing that this is a very common experience? And are you seeing it being more opened up as as we continue this? So definitely the research in the past 10 years is getting more and more kind of sophisticated. And we are finding that yes, this is a prevalent experience around a third of people are going to have some experience of family estrangement in their lives. And that it feels like in the 10 years that I've been in the field, we've had this shift from um, estrangement being extremely stigmatized and something that people don't talk about 
choose something that does come up more often. It's still rare, but it is addressed in the media. Um, we still don't really see it on our Instagram feeds, which tend to be kind of families in matching pyjamas around Christmas trees at this time of year. But we do have this really important presence of Seth and Amy's communities and groups like Stand Alone. We do have more of those kind of images that you see on social media about, you know, sending love to people who are experiencing estrangement or having difficult family relationships. It does feel like there's been a shift. And in some part, you know, I'm calling from the UK, so I have this context, but I feel like what's happened in the royal family over here really opened up conversations around family estrangement with Prince Harry and his brother, for example. And so it does feel like there is a shift. Uh, that's taking place. Well, and you having to just mention culture or cultural icons really uh, being open to those conversations that can really shift the the idea that you can talk about this. And Seth had touched on religion and politics playing into the role of estrangement. So can you talk about how do all those all those three elements, culture, religion, and politics, how do they play into, into estrangement? So we know that they're really important, but unfortunately, it's and bizarrely research on family estrangement is fairly small and new and and it is growing which is important but it's uh there, there is so much more for us to do so the things that come to my mind is we know that in families people marrying people from different cultures or ethnicities can sometimes be really problematic for people's family relationships and lead to family estrangement and we have um you know lots of conversations, I think, uh, around how politics can be divisive in families, but we don't have a great deal of research where people say exclusively this particular issue uh, led to our estrangement. Um, say in the UK, that might be Brexit or in the US, it might be like a, you know, a political party. Um, but we do know that if you have different values from a family member, that can be really challenging. Um, and that can really be one of the factors that contributes to estrangement. So I think what we've heard from Seth and Amy is it isn't always just one thing, um, one issue, one example of something, but actually just many different things that can contribute to a relationship becoming estranged. And for Seth and Amy, earlier we had talked about how, you know, this is not a conversation just for the holidays, but we are talking to both of you right before the Christmas holidays. And we had mentioned that this can be a very challenging time to be away for family. So how have you typically navigated the holidays? Let's start with Seth first. In the past, I would do nothing for the holidays when I was single. This was before I met my partner. But then we eventually started cooking these elaborate meals over the holidays and just having it all to ourselves. That sounds great. <laughs> we would do that for the for the next week. We would just have all all this food that we would just, we would just gorge on and and celebrate and be be merry. Um, but we have changed things up over the past few holidays. This past uh, Thanksgiving, we had a couple of international students from my husband's. He's in an MFA program, so there were a few international students who didn't have anywhere to go, so we had them over. I know for Together Estranged, every year we host a virtual event, and this year we had what was called the Togetherness Series, so it's six different virtual events that people can attend, and we've had authors and 
journalists and different types of mental health and holistic healing workshops just to help support people. Um, so that's been really nice to be a part of too. But those are a few of the different strategies I've taken over the holidays. And how would you say uh, celebrating holidays like 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 a big Christmas holiday versus birthdays? You know, is there a difference when it comes to you know the feelings that you're navigating during those times? I For me, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you're fine, Amy. Go ahead, um, Amy. I personally felt that um, my daughter's birthday was absolutely the worst. I'll say holiday for me, um, just because it was, she was my firstborn. So it was such a special day for me. So that was super hard, but I think all holidays, um, can be very, very difficult, especially now during the, the holiday season that we are in now, everywhere you look, it's there. And I think for people who are suffering estrangement, um, whether it's adult child or a parent, it is just in your face and you get it from every angle. And that can be so difficult, for me, what I did is I focused on others, um, similar to what Seth did. I love you making meals and inviting people over that have nowhere else to go. We did the same thing. And that was really helpful to navigate those holidays, especially the ones um, when you're new to estrangement. Well, thanks for sharing, Amy. And, and Seth, you were saying um, holidays versus birthdays. Is there a difference for you too? Yeah, I think there's a difference sometimes just in the type of communication I've received from my family. My dad used to call me every birthday and he would, he would leave me a voicemail. And one year I did call him back and, and actually told him, you know, I've, I've got my phone open. If you want to have a conversation, like I'm, I'm ready to chat. And I never heard back from him. And that was, that was really painful. Um, I usually wouldn't hear from him around the holidays, but my birthday, definitely. And sometimes it made me question his intentions because I would wonder if he's just reminiscing, you know, and he just missed missed me as a little girl. And I, I understand that. But sometimes I was like, I am an adult. I need you to see this. I need you to honor this and acknowledge this and have conversations about it um, in that regard you know, birthdays have been a little challenging with those phone calls. But um, since then, I've, you know, I've changed my number. I don't, I don't hear from him anymore. Um, it's all very similar to me now. And so because the holidays, you know, regardless of Christmas or birthdays or whatnot, it's, it's a time that I think there's a, there's a lot of communication or not happening during these times. So I want to pose this question to both of you as well. Let's go with Seth first, since you just talked. Um, what do you want people to know about what to say and perhaps not to say to someone who is experiencing estrangement right now? I think that very much in the way where we don't want to assume that someone's, that a child's parents are a cis, straight, married couple, I think we should also not assume that people have close, loving, accepting, re respectable family relationships. I think it's just an ask for us to constantly kind of question our beliefs of what the world is and what it should be. I think it's important to acknowledge that people have different situations. And if it's around the holiday season, you could ask, you know, oh, do you have any plans for the holiday season or do you have any plans for this weekend? I wouldn't make any assumptions of, you know, oh, where, where does your family live? Are you going to see your family? I think that can be really painful for people. Um, 
And I also think those posts on social media where it's like, you only get one mom, you only get one dad, make sure you call them this holiday season. I think that can be really triggering for folks too. And Amy, I want to ask you the same question too. You know, what would you like people to know to not say or say to someone who is experiencing estrangement right now? Yeah, I mean, I would agree with with Seth, you know, just saying in general, you know, what are your plans for the holidays? Because sometimes when you ask that question, oh, you're going to see your kids or grandkids, you will spur this emotional response from that person. I mean, I remember when someone asked me how my daughter was doing um, and what we were going to be doing for holiday, I burst into tears. And, you know, she didn't know what to do with that. Right. Right. So I'm just being, um, you know, kind and always asking questions in love. And I think when people do ask questions or say things, I don't ever really think that they mean it. Um, I think that to get that response, sometimes they just don't know. Right. Um, and I think that in this situation that we are in our culture right now, I think that we can just agree to disagree on things. I think to Seth's point um, in that my daughter and I have very different value systems, very different. And that's okay. We have different lives. We're different people, but just always be in love. And um, it's okay that we're not the same because that's what makes our world unique and wonderful is because we all different. Think how boring it would be if we were all the same. That's such a great uh, philosophy to have. What a boring world it will be if we were all the same. I really appreciate you sharing that uh, with us, Amy and Seth, and, and thanks to uh, Dr. Lucy Blake, who is a senior lecturer in psychology at the University of the West of England, and she's also a leading expert on family estrangement. Thank you, Dr. Blake, for being with us today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's so important to talk about this topic at this time of year, so thank you for this show. Absolutely. And also massive thanks to Seth Forbes, who's the founder and executive director of Together Estranged, which is based in Boston. Thank you, Seth, so much for, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Lucy and Amy. It's been such a pleasure meeting both of you and having these conversations. I, I hope that this helps anyone who's listening, who's going through similar experiences to know that they're not alone. And also thanks to Amy Palmer, who's the founder of the organization Parents of Estranged Adult Children. Thank you, Amy, for being with us today. Thank you. And thank you to both Lucy and Seth for just um, being a part of this. I learned a lot. Thank you. We learned a lot, too. And for our listeners, if you want more information, please log on to ctpublic.org slash where we live. Everything that we mentioned today will be on there if you need more information. I'm Catherine Shen. Today's show is produced by Tess Terrible. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Download Where We Live anytime on your favorite podcast app. And thank you so much for listening. You're listening because you stand with the facts.